0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast.
1: You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with my App Nerd friends, Graham Williams and John Beeler. We've got uh, a great program for you today here on the App uh, Show. Later on, uh, we will be chatting with a a 14 year old student that uh, has actually developed his own apps. He's uh, here in Vancouver. And uh, we'll be talking about uh, how he is uh, taking part in a uh, contest with Apple using their Swift uh, programming language uh, to win uh, prizes and uh, an opportunity to attend the Apple Worldwide Developers uh, Conference coming up uh, in June. Uh, this, this kid is great, and you got to stay tuned to, to listen to him uh, chat about how he's created some of these uh, apps. We will also be talking with the folks over Mappenhood. It's kind of like the ways for Pedestrians. And so uh, they've launched in Toronto, and we'll be bringing this to other cities uh, across Canada as well. So uh, we'll uh, be getting low down on how they put that uh, all together. Let's look at some of the app news uh, this week, guys. Uh, Lots happening there. I don't know if you uh, saw this. Uh, You can actually try to dock uh, your your capsule with the International Space Station with um, a SpaceX Crew Dragon simulator. Have you tried this, John?
0: I haven't tried it, but uh, I really want to. It reminds me of that scene in Interstellar when uh, everyone's trying to capture, or well, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a certain person that they're trying to stop from docking and he switches to manual mode, and uh, it actually is quite difficult. Uh, in manual mold as opposed to the automated ways that all the science fiction movies tend to show. So you can be
1: like Matthew McConaughey from Interstellar.
0: Sure. All right, all right, all right.
1: (laughs) I don't know if you ever saw saw this story uh, as well. Tom Cruise is going to be blasted into space and will actually spend some time... I, I, I thought this was a joke at first, but no, I think it's true. Uh, spend some time on the International Space Station. He'll going uh, he'll go up in a SpaceX uh, rocket, and he will be filming a new movie.
0: It's probably. I wonder if it's going to be a Mission Impossible. No, they said it's not. No, oh, okay. no, but that's about N- all the nothing details. In,
2: nothing about this surprises me. Not no? a single thing. No, no, it's just like you. You read a headline. Sometimes you're like, Tom Cruise is going to be the first man to film a movie in space. And you're like, Yeah, yeah, that's
1: about right. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. apparently, he's not the first guy to film a movie in space. No, no, there was uh, another gentleman back a few years ago. Uh, but this is like this is
2: a feature film. Yes, yes, because yeah. we we had we had Chris Hadfield who gave us uh, you know a fantastic rendition of Space Oddity um, from uh, from space,
1: right? Do you think he he's doing this so he can get a free ride to space?
2: I think he wants to go back home. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Where all the Scientologists are? Is that? Is that i will not coming
2: further on that. I just think that Tom wants to phone home.
1: Okay, that's uh, <laughs> an interesting take uh, on that. Uh, also, here in uh, the news, uh, Twitter and Google—they're allowing their employees to work from home till the end of the year.
2: Yeah, well, I think Twitter said almost indefinitely, right?
1: Yeah, like this is this is a new
2: corporate policy for them. And I'm I'm having this conversation with so many of my peers and friends right now, where everyone's saying okay, this is great. We want the option to be able to go into the office if we need to sort of have a face-to-face meeting. But for the most part, we're more productive, we're more well-rested, we're happier. Um, I know for myself, like I've, I've been on fire for the last two months. I, I don't really know that going back to the office for everybody with all of the carbon footprint that goes with it, does, does it seem
0: like we should go back to quote unquote normal? I think Mike wants to justify the new office that he just (laughs) (laughs) we just bought a new space this is this is
1: horrible we actually bought uh, a new office space spent uh, you know stupid amounts of money because it's expensive to build it out you know build a new studio and uh, all the bells and whistles and then the freaking pandemic hits and so I'm paying a mortgage on this you know downtown Vancouver space (laughs) you know it's it's killing me it's beautiful but it's killing me and, and this is actually the thing that I, I think is so
2: interesting is you know that space only had us has so much space for expansion and and you know I think there was kind of growth ahead. So looking at that, it's like, okay, can we set up sort of a rotating cycle where we've got some folks in some days, some folks in other days uh, and can the organization get bigger perhaps than a space would allow uh, simply by not having everybody there all, all at the same time? or we can get bunk beds. bunk beds, yeah, bunk desks' I've done that
1: bunk desks, it's high ceilings. I could actually stack the desks on top, top of each other, brilliant. They think, but you no, know, it's going to be interesting. So Twitter is saying that they're going to let their workers work from home indefinitely. Google said till the end of the year, what is this going to do to the future of the workplace? Are, are we going to see a giant pendulum swing here uh, in the other direction and that not as many people will be coming into the, into their office, they'll be able to work virtually from home, uh, you know, and how long will that go before companies realize, Hey, you know, it's actually better that we do have people in the office a little more often.
2: Well, I think with the telecommuting that we're doing, even with things like Zoom and Microsoft Teams, um, you know, many, many years ago, I worked for Best Buy uh, at their headquarters and they had something called the results-oriented work environment, they called it rowing. And uh, the whole point of it was, I remember speaking to one of the VPs at the time, he's like, I don't care when or where you do your work as long as it gets done by the time it's supposed to get done. And isn't that really it? Like, do you need to have this sort of supervision thing going on? Are we not adults? There are, all, there are always going to be workplaces that will benefit from having people there. And there are going to be times where, you know, we do some really creative stuff and it's great to actually have people around the table, be able to hash things out right away. Um, but I don't know that, you know, all the gas costs or even the power costs, if you've got a Tesla, uh, really warrant all of us trekking in, trekking out for half an hour, 45 minutes every day, just to sit there for eight hours and then... 45 minutes home and we could have actually just been spending that time being productive.
1: Well, luckily you live right close to the studio, Graham. So we're going to make you come in five days a week because <laughs> it'll be very little to no f- carbon footprint and we'll make you walk.
2: I, I've yeah. noticed that you've also signed me up as uh, for
1: janitorial duties. Th- thank you. That's kind. Well, you got to know where you came from, right, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone pitches in, everyone right. pitches in. Uh, we're also following uh, more app news here. Another one that I thought was hilarious I don't know if if you guys are feeling the same right now, but this pandemic, I thought being locked into the house or self-isolating, so to speak, I thought, you know what, I'm going to lose a ton of weight. You know, I used to eat out a lot and, you know, we all know that if we cook more meals at home, uh, it'll be healthier and, you know, we'll be more fit. I know I'm gaining weight. I'm like cooking more than ever and I'm eating crap all the time.
0: Your computer is in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, know, I know. Whenever we do our Zoom calls, I'm like gone half the time because I'm like in the fridge or, or, or making something <laughs> just, in just the kitchen. snacking away. Just snack on, yeah. I'm, I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm getting a little soft, a little, <laughs> a little rounder around uh, the edges. So uh, a lot of these uh, fitness apps out there and God bless them, uh, have been giving out uh, you know, their free versions or their are paid versions for free uh, during this uh, pandemic. Uh, one of those uh, is Chris Hemsworth's workout app. Chris Hemsworth, you might know him from uh, the Marvel movies. Uh, he was Thor. Uh, he's, uh, you know, obviously a big time Hollywood actor. And he's got a, a yearly subscription based workout app. I think it's 99 bucks a year. 99 US. US. Yeah. US. Okay. Anyway. Uh, a lot of people are pissed off because they signed up for this free t- trial. And even though they, you know, a lot of them attempted to cancel it, they still got charged the 99 bucks. So That's... Thor, Thor is taking their money.
2: They they tried to perform an extraction out of the app. And
1: oh, I saw, I saw what you did there.
2: Have you see an extraction?
1: <laughs> I have. Have you?
2: Yeah, it was all right. It felt yeah. like man on fire. Do you ever see that one with uh, yeah, yeah, Washington? I yeah. Think, I, mean, I think man on fire is the better version, but uh, Hemsworth kind of, he rocks it. Yeah. Well, right. I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'd download a, a Chris Hemsworth workout app, but
1: no, because you're going to get dinged 99 bucks. If you try <laughs> to
0: cancel it. I remember when we were in uh, New York last summer for a Samsung event and the hotel we were staying at, Chris Hemsworth was actually staying there as well at the same time. And he was working out, in their gym and a lot of people lost their minds in the hotel for obvious reasons to go and watch him work out and now you can pay $99 to not watch him work out exactly one more uh, news story
1: here Facebook is uh, paying $52 million in a settlement with moderators who developed PTSD on the job so current and former moderators will all be paid a minimum of $1,000
0: to see all that horrible crap they had to watch
1: <laughs> on Facebook. Well, this covers like, I, I didn't know they had so many op, uh, moderators. Uh, yeah. I think over 11,000 moderators.
0: So what do you do for a living? I watch horrible stuff on the internet.
2: But I do that, that as a hobby personally. <laughs> but um, that's, that's tough. Uh, it,
0: you yeah. Know. It's like,
2: fascinating. Yeah. Like I, I, I curate my my social feeds, you know, um, and Facebook in particular. I've, I've got a, a fairly tight list, um, but I still come across things that you know some friends share, and you're like, "This is the stupidest, most inaccurate thing," and the fact that you didn't know. And 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 you and like and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like when we take a look at some of the things that are going on around, you know, North America with these protests and things, like that, you look at it and you're just like, what is wrong with some of you people? And then you realize that some of these folks have been exposed to things that are far, far worse. And Facebook is going to give them a thousand dollars. Fifty two million sounds like a lot of money until you realize that it's broken down across all of these people. And the sheer horrors they had to see. I mean, Google has tried to do the automation thing, which I don't think has been terribly successful. No, um, it, it's fascinating. Like you, you wander into the comments on any Facebook story, on any sort of public news network, and it's a cesspool. I don't, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. I just, yeah, I, I feel for these people. I, I think they're probably owed more. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking too.
1: Yeah, it, um, from what I understand, uh, a lot of these, if not most of these uh, moderators, were hired through third party consulting uh, companies and, and not paid a lot. Uh, I think the average uh, pay was about $28,000 a year, oh. in the US. Uh, so, you know, they're saying they're placed in high stakes environments that uh, required near perfect accuracy in navigating Facebook's ever changing content policies uh, while being subjected to imagery that could. <laughs> <laughs> as this article says sometimes begin to haunt their dreams within weeks god I, I actually just want to find these people and give them a hug okay we're gonna have to take a break here on the app show when we come back we'll be talking with the folks over in mappin this is a, a new app that uh, is like the ways for uh navigating pedestrians around cities back after this you are back with the app show mike Egerbo here with john beeler well, we all probably use some form of uh, mapping program, whether that's Apple Maps or Google Maps, and fantastic for cars. Uh, what about pedestrians? Yes, you can uh, use it to uh, navigate if uh, you're just kind of walking around uh, a city. Well, we want to talk about uh, a new app called Mappin' available in Toronto and coming to other cities soon, that uh, focuses not so much on the cars, but more on the people, the pedestrians. On the line right now, we've uh, got one of the co-founders and the COO. His name is Arjun Malley. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me here.
1: Uh, I found this kind of interesting. Uh, I, You know, when I'm in other cities, uh, I use typically Google Maps or, or Apple Maps uh, to get around. What would make yours different? Why would I want to use Map and Hood instead?
3: Sure. So you can... Map and Hood is basically the ways for walkers. It's a free social navigation app for pedestrians. And we provides safer, more convenient, and more accessible routes. Um, so, for example, if you were looking for the safest route home at night, we can provide you that based on lighting, crime, and accident data. And then there's a lot of people that have, um, you know, phys- uh, like accessibility needs. And uh, for, so for someone who uses a wheelchair, for example, um, gradient data and accessibility relevant data is very important. Um, and that's also uh, available on the app. So we're able to give someone the most accessible route based on Gradient data, how narrow sidewalks are, whether they're impassable or not, and any other kind of barriers that may uh, come up uh, along a route.
1: So you likened yourself to the ways of uh, pedestrian uh, mapping, and you know, for the listeners out there that uh, haven't used ways, it's uh, basically uh, a GPS program, uh, a navigation program that. Uh, gets a lot of user generated content you know when there's a uh, an accident on the side of the road uh, or there's congestion you know users can actually go right into the app itself and record that Uh, i guess that's a similar thing here in mappenhood
3: yeah for sure so if i kind of boil down the main sort of highlights uh, it makes it really easy for you to personalize your route so whether you're looking for the fastest the most scenic um, the most accessible the safest based on you know what's happening what's the data that's available for that for the walkable space, um, and then it also makes it really easy for you to find things in the city you're looking for. Whether those are city amenities, things like water fountains, benches, um, even things that are you know pleasant to look at, like street murals. Um, and then recently, we've kind of been um, adapting with you know the new reality that we all live in, where physical distancing is becoming a really uh, a big thing. Um, so we've just recently released a avoid crowded streets setting in the routing, so people are able to physically distance using historic pedestrian foot flow data at intersections. And then we can layer uh, more on top of that to kind of find out what sidewalks are the widest. It, so that are basically the best for, um, you know, physically distancing, distancing itself. And then there's also been a great initiatives put forward by the city of Vancouver and then and recently now by the city of Toronto, too, where they're going to be opening up spaces for pedestrians to walk around uh, more freely. So we'll be highlighting those areas as well onto the app.
1: Arjun, I imagine it's a big undertaking to get all that information into the app itself. And, and obviously, the users are going to be a big part of that. But when you talk about how narrow the sidewalks are and, and gradients and things like that, is that all user generated? Or are you guys yeah. inputting some of that data as well?
3: No, that's a good question. So thankfully, we live in an era where there's a lot of open source data that's out there. Um, and recently, a lot of these data sets have been updated. So they haven't been updated in about six to eight years. And, and now in the last 12, 12 to 24 months, you can actually find quite a lot of good open data sets. Um, so how we start for a location, for example, is that we would start with a foundational layer and that foundational layer will be all sort of open street uh, data that's out there. So open street maps is what we use for our uh, baseline sort of map. And on top of that, we put other open source data from the city, uh, from the Toronto police uh, database, and that serves as this foundational layer that then users can crowdsource data on top of. Um, so we put together what's like most up-to-date and relevant. And then um, users can kind of go in there and either verify, adjust, or, or input new data.
0: Are those layers uh, optional? Like you can turn on the crime layer, for example?
3: Yeah, exactly. So our settings is um, quite comprehensive. Like if you go into the settings, you can turn on all type, you can turn on either all the tags, which are at eighty over 80 different categories, um, or, and you can basically cherry pick which data sets are important to you and what you want displayed on your map. And then what's really novel and, and, and what we've done is built a new routing engine. Um, so that's really where the core technology lies. So if you think about the routing engines that power our navigation apps of today, they haven't really been updated for, for many years. So, you know, GPS navigation was this sort of military technology that then trickled through uh, the civilian use case in the form of vehicular navigation. Um, and it was all about optimizing the speed of the route calculations from uh, over long distances. So getting cars from point A to point B as quick as possible and generating that route as fast as possible. So if you turn, it reroutes you and gets you straight there. For pedestrians, the sort of the needs are sort of different. And all the routing var- all the the variables that considered in route and the routing engines for for car-based navigation are, are, are not pedestrian relevant. So things like turn turn restrictions, one-way streets, um, there's a lot of other things that impact pedestrian travel. And building this catalog of um, you know data sets that are on walkable spaces, uh, we can basically fill in this data gap and every physical item that's on the sidewalk interacts with you in a different level so if um you know if you're living with vision loss for example you would want to know that there's temporary construction on the sidewalk and people are able to now tell you that it's there um so you know the pedestrian navigation is basically an add-on feature and it's never really been built Uh, a routing engine has never really been built for pedestrians and people aren't cars so why should we navigate like them and that's kind of the whole premise for how we kind of started this investigation and started rolling out the uh, the features in the app.
0: It, it sounds like a really great feature for really walkable cities. How easy is it for that pedestrian to sit there and, and update what they're encountering on those sidewalks or on the streets?
3: Uh, yeah, so it's, it's pretty easy. The main mechanism is through our tagging button. So you would essentially press the tagging button, it would open up a menu of all these different types of tags. And uh, so for example, if you've come across a water fountain that is not displayed on the map, you can you can tag it there and you can adjust the, the influence of the tag. So say if it's a park, you can actually have the radius go out so it covers the entire park. Or if it's a bench, it would you could have the radius right down to one to two meters. And um, the way it works is we, we need others to verify the tags before they go live onto the platform. So right now it's set at uh, two other people need to verify that that tag exists. And we've sort of incentivized people to input data through sort of gamification. Like we made it a little bit fun. Like there's kind of quests that you can do on a daily basis. If you're out for a 30-minute walk, um, you know, um, tagging tagging certain data sets could be very useful for people that uh, have... Um, Accessibility needs, for example, whether those be stairs or, um, you know, narrow sidewalks or, or, or um, any any obstacles like that.
0: So kind of like Pokemon Go, but actually useful. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's a good way to it's kind of a cross between ways and Pokemon Go. If, uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: We're talking with uh, Arjun Mali. He is uh, the co-founder and COO over at uh, Immersive. Uh, they've created a new app called Map and Hood available in Toronto right now. Arjun, when are we going to see this in Vancouver or other cities?
3: Hopefully, really soon, Mike. So I think part of our roadmap for the next uh, two to three months is really scaling, um, or making the platform available across Canada um, and Vancouver, Montreal, Calgary, Edmonton. These are like the next, the next uh, steps for us. Um, so we're sort of ingesting all the data right now and. Um, it's, it's once we're at a point, it's kind of just flicking a switch and we'll have, have it available. Right now, the app is available to download for all Canadians, but if you did download it right now, the, the routing wouldn't work. So you'd be able to actually download it and have a look at all the pages, see what, what are in the settings, and see, basically have an overview of the app. But if you try to pin a destination and go there, uh, we wouldn't be able to provide you the route right now. Um, that's limited to Ontario. And uh, we hope to expand that really soon. Arjun,
1: where can people download this app?
3: So it's available on iOS and Android. So if you go to our website, um you can find out more information and the, and the download links are right there. But otherwise, um, yeah, if you're on iPhone, go straight into the App Store and type in Mappinhood. You should find us. Um, same thing with the, the Play Store for, for Android.
1: That was Arjun Malley. He is uh, one of the co-founders of Mappinhood, an app made for pedestrians. We're going to have to take a break. You've been listening to the app show here on the chorus radio network. Back after this, you are back with Mike and John Beeler. We've got uh, an interesting guest coming on the line here. Uh, We're going to be talking about Apple's swift student challenge. This is uh, a cool uh, coding challenge uh, for students out there. Uh, The winner will be announced at uh, the big Worldwide Developers Conference uh, that takes place uh, June 22nd. This year, because of the pandemic, like many other events, uh, it will be held virtually, but uh, we know that thousands of people will be attending this. On the line, uh, we have uh, our guest today. He is a 14-year-old Vancouver student. His name is Pranav Karthik, and he is uh, a great example of someone who's discovered the impact of uh, his uh, coding skills. And uh, was uh, an attendee at uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference uh, last year, and also received a tweet from uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook uh, acknowledging his uh, tutorial online that helped teach other Swift uh, other students Swift uh, coding language. Thanks for joining us, Pranav.
4: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Great. Uh, tell us uh, us and and the listeners what uh, Swift is all about.
4: Well, uh, Swift is basically a programming language made by Apple to help users develop applications for iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, and all of the Apple devices.
1: So you're 14 years old. How how long have you been using this?
4: So I've been using it for the past couple of years, around three probably, and I've been making apps with it for iPhones and
1: iPads so far. So you're actually making your own iPhone apps. Right. And... How, how long did it take you to actually learn this? And obviously, you're probably still learning this, uh, but uh, is, is this a difficult thing to pick up?
4: Well, not really. Once you get like the gist of it, I mean, every programming language is basically structured pretty similarly. And because I already had some prior programming language, it was pretty easy to pick up. But I was mostly self-taught using online tutorials.
1: Tell us about uh, an app that you created uh, called Tracker. What is this to do?
4: So Tracker is basically a smart homework tracker, homework assignments tracker, which can help students effectively manage their assignments using powerful features such as Siri and uh, the Today widget, as well as a beautiful UI.
1: And and, uh, how long has this been available?
4: It just launched last year in October.
1: Oh, very, very cool. Uh, is this a free app or a paid app?
4: It's completely free right now.
1: You're also uh, helping a, a, another company. I believe it's is it called Manavada, uh, a nonprofit-based uh, company in India, develop uh, an app.
4: Right. So they're a nonprofit helping people with the humanitarian needs and uh, food relief and that sort of thing. So right now, their focus is on COVID and um, relief for people worldwide, especially in the United Kingdom and uh, India. So I'm helping them build an app to help people get that information faster and get more knowledge faster.
1: How long does it take to make make these apps?
4: Well, it really depends, but most likely it would take at least a couple weeks to build like a basic app. But the more features you add, it'd probably take a lot longer.
1: From what I understand, uh, you um, actually got a a tweet from uh, Tim Cook last year. How did that feel?
4: (laughs) It's Basically, uh, I was actually talking with an Apple representative the day before that, and they were taking some photos of me, but I never realized I would go that far. And when I saw the tweet the next day, I was so excited and pretty shocked. I immediately uh, told all my family members, friends, and they were all equally surprised. And it was one of the best feelings I've ever had at WWDC.
1: So you'll uh, obviously be uh, attending uh, virtually this year?
4: Yep, definitely.
1: Uh, what other kind of uh, coding languages do uh, do you do? Uh,
4: it's primarily Swift, but I know a bit of Python and a bit of C Sharp.
1: What would you tell students out there uh, and kids out there uh, about coding that might be a little apprehensive a little scared to get into it because it looks kind of daunting
4: well at the base of coding it's actually really simple and i bet anyone could get into it if they actually tried because it's all pretty like user-friendly to just follow along with the steps like any tutorial you could just follow along and do the code on your own and it would still work so there's no reason to really get scared about it
0: did you start with swift playgrounds on an ipad or did you use a computer and code conventionally When you started.
4: I started on a computer, but Swift Playgrounds is pretty great. Yeah,
0: this is a a really interesting app that you can download for your iPad to do all of, you know, well, they call it a playground because it lets you explore coding on an iPad interface, which is a really interesting way of of doing that as opposed to coding in a programming language like you would typically have, you know, with a, um, uh, like a mouse and a keyboard type of situation versus a a touch interface. So
1: So Pranav, uh, you're 14. You've already made, uh, you know, a few apps. Uh, what what's the future hold for you? What do you What do you want to do when uh, you get older?
4: Well, I definitely want to get a job at Apple because, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Apple's pretty great. But I I want to work as um, a developer for different parts of Apple's products, probably, and that's my goals for the future. For right now,
1: well, it sounds like you're already best friends with Tim Cook. So, <laughs> well, hopefully, if you keep it up, there might be an opportunity there.
4: Yeah, that's true. Hopefully.
1: Well, Pranav, uh, I want to thank you for joining us uh, today and uh, good luck with everything. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about some of the cool old tech that uh, we've all found in our garages while we uh, have been spending a little extra time getting organized. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike, John, and Graham here. want to talk uh, the segment about some of the... Uh, the old tech that we uh, are still uh, hoarding, I think uh, a few of us here are tech hoarders, uh, I count myself in. I actually uh, had a bit of spare time during the, uh, the self-isolation here, and I've been cleaning my garage, and I have found <laughs> all sorts of old crap, old tech that uh, continues to sit there. And do you think I got rid of it? No. I just put it back in in a container, and it'll stay there for another uh, ten years. One of the f- the the interesting things I came across were my old zip drives. Do you remember these things?
2: Oh wow, the iOmega zip drive.
1: Yeah, this was. I love those. Those oh. those were fascinating. Back in the nineties. Uh, we were really limited on our computers uh, for removable storage. We had floppy disks, you know, the little, you know, three and a half inch hard, hard disks. The problem was that they only held 1.4 megabytes of information, like rendering them almost useless, you know, because files were starting to get bigger.
0: That's not even a photo on your latest. No, iPhone, no.
1: Right? And uh, so iOmega, they came out with something called a zip drive. And so these disks were hard plastic disks, and they held an astonishing 100 megabytes. So compare that to a floppy disk that had one 1.4, like basically about one and a half megabytes of storage. This thing was a game changer, but they were expensive. uh, And, you know, the disks were kind of pricey as well, but everyone started getting them because what other choice did you have? And, you know, you you would look at iOmega and think, God, these guys are on a rocket ship to the moon. They're going to be one of the biggest tech companies because they have cornered the market on this removable storage. It's, you know, becoming a standard and then guess what happened guys cd roms
0: (laughs) i I, but i remember buying a three pack of zip discs yeah probably from doppler yes actually
1: where i used to work and
0: uh yeah and uh it's like you 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 had the golden ticket in from willy wonka because like look at all this space i have now i know right you'd run home and like oh i can get rid of all this stuff and, and put it somewhere else safely and uh yeah, that lasted for a short while.
2: And like any other tech, you know, when the CD-ROM did come out, you you had sort of the back and forth. You had the ZipDisk kids, and you had the CD kids, and the ZipDisk, you know, like they're infinitely rewritable. We can use these as many times as we want. Well, we have a CD rewritable, which. To write an hour's sort of a, a disk's worth of uh, information when these things first came out was what like thirty five minutes to fill the damn thing. Yes, yeah, right on a two X CD-ROM. Yeah, it was, it was like the sharks and the jets. You know, they'd be rumbling in the parking lot. But uh,
0: well, th- don't forget the the DAT, DAT machine people too. Yeah, right. All the the digital music people that had DAT tapes. Oh yeah. But so it was
1: interesting. So people still, you know, they had these zip drives and then CD-ROM suddenly, you know, CD writers came out and you could purchase these. I remember buying my first one. I think it was like an HP CD writer and reader. It was an external (laughs) one. It was like, oh my God, it was like $800. But it was magical because instead of like 100 megabytes of storage on a disc that these zip drives had, I could store 650 megabytes. Like literally six times as much as a Zip disk. Truly it, a golden age. Well, and literally within a, the space of a couple years, it just it annihilated the Zip drive. Like it just.
2: You know, I, I Omega came out with the Jazz drive.
1: Yeah, right? one Which gigabyte.
2: The one gigabyte after that, but yeah. I think that really was it. You know, the idea of these sort of like clunky cartridge style things. Did you want to be carrying that around? Not really. You know, and it just didn't, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And by the time that we started to get into, you know, more optical storage DVDs and, and Blu-rays, I mean,
0: do you guys have optical media around the house anymore? No. I have lots. Of, I actually, have, in my garage, I have a couple of cases of unused blanks.
1: I, I think I have a few leftover blank CDs, uh, but it, it would be difficult uh, to actually write. Or read one of them. I think my kitchen computer that I'm using right now uh, to record this show has a CD drive. I don't know if it works
0: I- anymore, but I, I still have my my Apple external uh, DVD writer. Yeah.
1: yeah,
2: the the Super Drive was great. It was what 100 bucks, and you just plugged in through USB. I've I've used that for it's got to be going on a decade.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to yeah. know if I ever need to read a CD disk. <laughs> I can call on John. Do you know what else I came across guys? And this was amazing. I think it was back from 2001. Do you remember Creative Labs? Yeah. So this was a company that was riding the wave. So after, you know, CD-ROMs annihilated Iomega, Creative Labs, uh they were big into making sound cards like the Sound Blaster. And so computers back then, they had really crappy sound. And so if you got one of these Sound Blaster cards, suddenly all your games and everything came to life. It was freaking amazing. And so they came out with um, you know, CD-ROM kits. They became this giant multimedia powerhouse company. And so one of the things they came out with at the time was uh, something called the Zen Player. And so they had a few different versions. They had you know, a one for MP3s, which were becoming a thing at the time, uh, you know, music files. And they also had the, the Zen Windows Media Center portable video player. And so this, it was about the size, you know, about half the size of a brick. It looked like a big black brick with a a little screen on it, but you could hook it up to your computer. And if you had any video files, audio pictures, you could dump them on this thing and, and watch your videos anywhere. And it was actually amazing because I used to do a lot of traveling. Well, I guess I still do, but I used to do a lot of traveling back then. And so I could dump all my favorite TV shows and movies on this and watch them on the plane. People on the plane were like, wow, you were from the future
2: the future is now
1: the future is now and you know i forget how much this thing was probably like six five six hundred dollars but it was amazing but again creative labs another huge tech company and where are they now but anyways just it just shows you in the tech industry you know we're looking at some of the big companies right now that we deal with like you know apple and google and, and twitter but things change in the tech in the tech world things change like 10 years from now are they still going to be the big companies is there going to be question. some other company that we haven't even heard of yet that, uh, you know, within the space of a few years will take over Zoom? market? Zoom. Like, yeah. Who knew about <laughs> Zoom a year ago? Yeah. And now they're like the uh, the pandemic social media network. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, you know, hundreds of millions of people are using them. And they've, like, wiped out so many of their competitors. And everyone is scrambling to keep up with them, like from Facebook to, to Google it's crazy john you had a piece of old tech that i just thought was amazing yeah tell us about it this
0: wasn't originally mine and my green screen on the on the video podcast isn't going to show up but we'll we'll get some video of it up on the on it later uh it's the one laptop per child the olpc the idea behind this is that you would buy this device it's a little small portable laptop and uh you buy it you basically buying two you buy one for yourself and then one for a child in a developing country That was the was the idea behind it and my friend actually bought a couple for his kids at the time which were very young and they they got them and they used them and then they moved on and then he gave them to me and i actually fired it up a little while ago and it still worked and you can actually, there's actually Linux you can install on it. Um, it's got Wi Fi. It's got, th- this particular one doesn't have the hand crank, which is was also popular at the time. Uh, there was a model, uh, I think, specifically for third world countries, not North America. And I think it was about, it was supposed to be about $100, but I think the reality turned out to be a little bit more expensive than that per device. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty neat little machine, and I'm still happy that it still works.
1: Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about some of the things that uh, we're watching and we've got a special guest with us back after this. You are back with the App Show. We've uh, got uh, a surprise yet old guest uh, with us. If you remember uh, back last year and years before, we used to have Christina on as a regular host. Uh, she is back forced back from her year-long sabbatical where she was uh, traveling to exotic uh, locales before the pandemic crushed all her dreams. She is back in (laughs) Vancouver to uh, help us out with this segment, what you're watching or what we're streaming. Thanks for joining us, Christina.
5: Uh, Thanks for having me, me and my uh, dreamless existence now, Mike.
1: Well, thank God we have (laughs) Netflix and the other streaming services. So, uh, you know, the rest of us guys, we've been over the past few weeks talking about some of the things we're uh, looking at. What uh, What's catching your eye right now online?
5: Uh, right now, I actually am a huge fan of this uh, Netflix and Vox partnership series called Explained. This has been around for a couple of years, actually, on Netflix. The great thing about it is that it's actually now available to pretty much everyone, even if you don't have a Netflix account. So... Explained is a little bit of a documentary series. Each segment is about 15 to 20 minutes episode, I should say. And they cover topics that are very relevant to all our lives, things like the gender pay gap, for example, or how pandemics work and the the stock market. And they cover these in 15 to 20 minute episodes, which are perfect for if you are doing something else like cooking, I always fire it up when I'm cooking a meal. And then it's Uh, just playing in the background
1: very cool and so these are actual tv shows
5: yeah, they're, they're great little documentaries. They give you a wealth of information in such a short time. They're narrated by a lot of uh, celebrities, like Emma Stone has narrated some of these. And they've actually spun out the series. So it started as Just Explained, and now we have The Mind Explained and Sex Explained. And most recently, just a couple of days ago, they launched Coronavirus Explained. So there's one episode on there for that Already, and I'm anticipating seeing more episodes come up as the weeks carry on. And as I said, this is available to everyone now. Uh, Netflix used to offer this content for free to educators through their YouTube channel, but now that since educators are at home they've made it available to everybody
1: thanks christina that was uh, explained on netflix check it out that's all the time we have left for the app show visit our website getconnectedmedia.com to enter uh, all the contests we have and check out the video podcast as well see you again next time